0: Further introduction to the man the floor is tracking City's clapping for his relentless backing A bestie against the former team that just went packing While they're slacking another host are lacking He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling While he's racking the ones who keep on grappling The listeners and followers who get it keep on stacking Great friend and the type to set a trend Presidency where haters with the menders there's no pretend Seventeen years he along with Pierce Entertaining Southern Cali backed by popular demand Intense for the listeners to resonate To the hottest topics of the day, check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses his voice to do what's best for the community Westwood one, catch him on the sidelines. Reporting live, what we later see in highlights. No holds barred, just like on his timeline. Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines. Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria. Touching down, all around connected like Expedia. Coming to your speakers live from the city of Vesti. Welcome to oh the Scott goodness, Kaplan Media.
1: I am so stoked to bring you this week's installment of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast because... This is the first ever edition of a new series that I'm doing called Badass Bitches. And this all started because last year, as we got deeper into the year of producing 45 podcasts, it had come to my attention that you don't have any female guests. And I thought, well, that's wrong because I know a lot of badass bitches. And that phrase to me, to, you know, when I hear that phrase, I think, man, That girl is on fire. You know, I think of um, the well, the first person who I'm going to interview for this series, Annie Lawless. I said, I'm going to wait for Annie. I want Annie to be first. Annie's been a friend of mine for about six years or so. And I say friend. I mean, I met her. Um, It was social and cordial. And then later on, she started to date and then eventually married one of my best friends. So I've known her for years, but I got to see the beginning of her first major company that turned into a massive home run that has now led her to her next company, which is her own brand. And I said, I must have her on first. And what's interesting is when I talk about this on the radio, and I mention this phrase, badass bitches, maybe it's because it's on the radio, my on-air partner, Linda Welby, who is just wound a little bit tighter She says, I don't like that name. And when I talk to Annie about this, you'll hear what she had to say about the name of this series. I like the name. And so today, in a series of meetings that we're having in advance of the Super Bowl, because we're about to take the radio show down to Atlanta for the Super Bowl, and this year, we're really going to the Super Bowl to show off the sided platform that we've been working on for the past year. And a year ago, I was showing my colleagues in the industry a piece of paper, And now I'm showing them a living, breathing, active platform. And so we started to talk about why don't I use Cited within the podcast. So here goes. I posted a debate today on Cited. Visit the website, Cited.co. It's a web-based app, and it's a proof-of-concept web-based app. I'm trying to prove to my investors that people who listen to me on radio or podcast or follow on Twitter will come to an alternative universe where they can be rewarded for their participation. And so far, it's working great. But I need more people to come and use it so that I can prove it even further. So I posted a debate about this exact topic. What do you think of the title, Badass Bitches? And the debate is posted on Cited.co, and I hope you go and participate. So here it goes. Here's my first guest in this series. Her name is Annie Lawless. And here's her story. All right, so I'm just starting. You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think you're going to need to put that mic real close. There you go. Thank you for the time today.
2: Thank you for having me. Oh, my
1: God. Well, thanks for having me here at your house. Um, This series that, that I'm starting with right now at this exact moment is called Badass Bitches. I love it. You do? Yeah,
2: I love it. I really do. I think it's very um, fitting for this time right now. And there's a lot of young women entrepreneurs doing really cool things and kind of blazing new trails and new categories. It's really exciting. Uh,
1: I wasn't sure if it was offensive.
2: No, I mean, I'm not offended easily. And you know my husband that I live with on a daily basis. <laughs> so I basically wake up offended. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm fine.
1: Okay. Because I, I, um, I've run it by some ladies and they think it's really cool. And then I've had some others who are a little bit more conservative who said, I don't like the name of that.
2: Oh, really? See, I find it sort of a compliment. I think it's um, it's nice when you feel like um, people admire what you're doing and think it's pretty badass that you're kind of taking risks and doing things differently. And that's really what being an, op- being an entrepreneur is. So I actually take it as a flattering thing that what I'm doing is making some waves.
1: That was my... Oh, I really wanted everybody to take it as a compliment. That's what I meant it as, you know, I, I did 45 podcasts last year in 2018, my first year of podcasting and all 45 guests on my podcast were all men.
2: Really? Not one female. I don't know. Interesting. What was the reason for that? You think?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I, I was starting to, there was a, there was a woman who was an artist who was kind of pitching me that she wanted to get onto the podcast. And I didn't want to just give it away. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want it to be special when I invite somebody on. And um so I started to think about this in about June, July of, of eighteen. I said, I don't have any females on my podcast and I know a ton of badass bitches. Why don't I start doing a feature on women specifically rather than I don't know why. I just decided, you know what? I want to do a full series on women who just absolutely crush.
2: I think that's brilliant. And I think it's really cool to highlight all the great things that um, women are doing right now, especially young women. It's really fun for me because a lot of my girlfriends are starting companies and have really interesting brands in the works. And I just think it's a time in life right now where women feel empowered to go and do whatever they want and feel like they can do it and don't feel impeded or like there's roadblocks. Like there's actually a clear path um, to becoming an entrepreneur and starting your business and supporting yourself. And I think it's just a really, for the first time in our like history really of entrepreneurship, I think that the floodgates are wide open for women, especially.
1: So I, um, this may sound corny, but I saw pink, last Mm -hmm. year and I had my daughters with me
2: Oh, and that's like my generation pink came up when I was in high school well maybe like grade school but I was a pink fan and she was talk about a badass bitch
1: I saw her in concert and her it wasn't just her flying around the entire arena it was the message that she was sending which was hey girls don't take shit from anybody Mm -hmm. you can do whatever you want And I just thought that was so cool. So this whole concept started to (laughs) marinate last year. And so then when I decided that I'm definitely gonna do this, I said, okay, but I have to, have the right person for my very first one. And I have been waiting to talk to you for a long time. Seriously. I feel so special. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you for doing this because, um, of course. I, I actually had, uh, a bit of a beef last week with someone named Aaron Andrews. Do you know who she is? I do. Yeah.
2: She came, um, to San Diego. She stayed at Rancho Valencia. Yeah. we saw her there.
1: Yeah. She's, mm-hmm. um, she was pissed off because she was like really just, by the way, she's always very like, to me, she's just not, polite and nice when I have to work with her on the field. So I talked about it on the radio and it really (laughs) pissed her off. And so she called me and she left me this voicemail and I called her back and we kind of got on the phone and she kind of let me have it for a long time. And then I told her, I think you're wrong and just be nice to everybody and you won't ever have these problems. And, and then I said to her, I said, you know, I have a lot of respect for you for calling me and bitching me out the way you are. I said you're a badass bitch. You should be on my podcast, but you you can't be first. Did she agree? <laughs> she hasn't agreed yet. But but I told her said but you can't be first because you're first. Thank you. Seriously, I really I when I'm I think, honored when I think of the phrase badass bitch, you are sitting next to the definition.
2: Oh wow! And Thank here's you. why
1: I'll tell you why because, um, you're young, successful, um, continue to be incredibly motivated, and and. You're just, you're not a person who I perceive as able to even remotely sit still. No. (laughs) And, and, and rest on what you've already accomplished. Absolutely not. Ambition.
2: Yeah. And I do think it's an innate, like personality trait. I mean, you have it too. I don't think I would really be happy if I weren't doing things. And I mean, after my first business, when I left in 2015, I had like a year and a half break. And even during that time, I started my YouTube channel, kept blogging, but I was even getting bored. And it just made me realize that it's not really about like financial success, or you know, these benchmarks on paper that a lot of people define ses- success as. It's more the feeling of accomplishment and like waking up with that purpose. And kind of having that slow down for a little bit made me realize like I have to get back out there and do something new because I'm happiest when I'm making things and creating things and contributing to society and putting my ideas into a product that people can actually touch and feel. Like for me, that's what makes me tick. So I think that's why I,
1: you know, I say to my daughters, I have, you know, I have three girls. And I say, girls, you have to grow up to be professionals, business people, entrepreneurs, owners. You don't want to have a job. You don't want to ha- be dependent upon somebody. No. You have to want to do things on your own. And that's, that's what I'm trying to parent and convey. Cause, yeah. cause w- like, just as an example, I mean, I hate to put you on the spot, and, but everybody will probably be able to find this information. How old are you?
2: I'm 31. Okay.
1: So by 31 years old, you've already hit a really big home run in business and you're building now yet another brand. Can we, let's start with where you are today mm-hmm. so that I can then tell the story and weave the story for everybody of how you got to where you are.
2: So I recently, um, in October, 20. 20- 17, I guess. Yes. Um, Launched my clean cosmetics brand called Lawless, which is now sold in Sephora and Bergdorf Goodman and Neiman Marcus. Um, And this really came about pretty quickly. Uh, I had started working on it in February of 2017. um, Started formulating that spring and summer, working on all the packaging, um, setting up the website, went off to get married in September in Italy and came back to launch the brand just a month later, so it really was a fast time between really conceptualizing and knowing I wanted to create clean cosmetics um, because I found this huge gap in the market that was really just a personal need that I had um, for high performance clean makeup because I'm a makeup girl so. You know, I'm not looking for tinted moisturizer and earth tones and sheer coverage. I really wanted heavy duty makeup just like the brands I love NARS, Bobbi Brown, Laura Mercier, um, Huda. And it really was frustrating to me that all the clean makeup was either sold at Whole Foods, had super crunchy granola packaging, or just felt very boring and sheer. So I realized, you know, if I feel this way, there has to be so many other girls that want high performance makeup without all the silicone, synthetic fragrance, talc and harmful ingredients that we really don't want to be putting on our skin. And also, you know, clean skincare is a category that I really saw exploding last year. But it's wild to me that we spend extra money to have all this clean skincare, but then put all those ingredients back on our skin with our makeup. So um, like Drunk Elephant at Sephora was like the number one skincare brand last year in their clean brand. And I thought, I want to be that brand for makeup. So I launched the brand in October and just a couple months later, Sephora reached out and I flew to San Francisco, met with their team. They really loved the concept and the products. And I launched there this past spring of 2018. And since then, it's just sort of been a very fast, um, a fast run. So we have um, now launched in 40 doors on their clean tower. And this spring I'm getting my own gondolas in stores. So I'll have my own standalone fixtures and um yeah it's just been a crazy crazy fast ride
1: okay so i I think that um again back to the beginning of all this badass bitches right Mm -hmm. like so you are a 31 year old young lady who has like i said already had a big home run in business now you've created your own brand because you wanted to create your own brand you had an issue Mm -hmm. you wanted to fix a problem um Mm -hmm can you just go back to the beginning of all of your own issues that got you into makeup? Because that's part of the story of how you even lawless probably doesn't happen is what I'm saying. Right. If it isn't for your previous business, Suja, Mm -hmm. is that a fair statement?
2: Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't Suja, it would have been something else. I think, um, of course, yeah, (laughs) naturally, exactly. Um, and at that time in my life of starting Suja health and wellness is such a big, Um, passion of mine, so I think that whatever I would have done, whether it was juice, would have been in the health and wellness category, but definitely Lawless because it's a clean brand Um, totally benefits that my past business was also in the clean space because it gives me that authenticity and credibility because um, it's taking something that I'm super, super passionate about and trying to basically clean my whole life out so first it was you know with nutrition and juicing now it's with cosmetics so you know who knows next but Hmm. i'm basically just trying to create a lifestyle out of my own passion for health and wellness that works for me so all these things in my life that i'm seeing that i could be doing better that i could be having cleaner ingredients i'm creating those things that i can't find and one of those was juice and the other one now is makeup.
1: Okay. So start me off with the juice thing, mm-hmm. because um, I know you've said, look, if you're an entrepreneur, you can't let things stand in your way. Right. Right. I mean, we all have roadblocks.
2: Oh, for sure. And especially when starting your own business, like you're going to have problems you didn't even know could be a problem. So you can't be deterred easily and you can't get down on stuff and expect everything to work out. You have to just go.
1: And and one thing you said, and I, it's going to stick with me and I, I don't know that we got it. And I mentioned that there was a technical difficulty. I really want to get back to it because it'll get us forward. When you run a makeup brand, there's no handbook for running makeup brands. You don't Google, how the fuck do I run a makeup brand? No. It just doesn't happen that way, right? There is no handbook for this stuff. And you said, I don't know what I'm doing. No. I mean, you have to kind of just make it up as you go as an entrepreneur. Would you agree with that?
2: Yes. And I think just being transparent, like... I remember when I got my first Sephora PO, I didn't even know what EDI was. And that's how they submit their orders. And like, you know, you just have to call them. And even though you feel amateur and don't know what you're doing, people are patient with you. But that's, you know, you have to not get caught up by what everyone else is doing and assume that everybody else has a plan and everybody else knows the knows the rules like nobody really knows what they're doing and anybody that has been successful has dug in and just asked the right questions been persistent not been afraid to look like an ass and just like does the stuff necessary to get to the next step and the next step and the next step and then before you know it you look down and you've climbed all the way to the top so for me um i think just being humble and knowing when you don't know what you're doing um I probably drive people nuts at Sephora. That was my first big retail account. Now I'm exclusive with them, so my only big retail account. I ask some dumb questions every day, but like you what? know, like, I'm launching in the spring with my own gondolas my packaging is way too bulky that won't even fit testers behind so I have to redesign the packaging so what are the right dimensions what is the right lighting why can't I have a video on my gondola like all these little things what does that gondola
1: seem... mean just by the way
2: the gondola is your fixture so when you walk in Sephora and you see all these brands with their own I guess to a guy the best way to say it would be like a makeup counter okay. Sephora doesn't really have counters uh-huh. like a department store but they've got each brand has their fixture it a.k.a. Gondola, which Mm -hmm. is like that brand's counter within Mm -hmm. Sephora. So I am launching with my own and it's the brand's responsibility to design those. So, you know, I'm asking questions all the time about the right protocol and way to do it, even though I know they're working with these big brands like YSL and Dior that have whole teams of people doing all that. They submit everything on time, perfectly packaged up. Per Sephora requirements and guidelines that I'm just totally learning things as I go.
1: Okay, awesome. So really cool. I'm so glad you just said this. Um, these other brands, you know, you say um, Dior. Okay, mm-hmm. that I know who that is. Okay. Um, you say they have all these people and mm-hmm. they, they know what they're doing. They're big companies and big brands. Mm-hmm. Your brand is gaining and getting bigger, mm-hmm. but you're still tightly knit i mean this is still a really small little group of people running yeah this, right? i mean
2: we just hi- so it's me and then my husband who um has been beyond incredibly helpful but he doesn't want to be doing this i mean he knows more about makeup than he ever wanted to <laughs> but he um he's having fun with it but He would like to extricate himself once I hire some people, but he's kind of dug in to help. And then we just recently hired our very first, like, employee, which is my brother, who was an investment banker for five years, and so he's doing all of our financials now. So, I mean, that's the team. It's very small when I get a request or I get a stack of paperwork from Sephora to register my new products. It's not like I'm passing that off to people. I'm sitting and doing that. I'm doing customer service. Um, I do pretty much everything. So, it's definitely... um, stressful as there's a kind of a growing period. This happened to me with Suja too, where you go from that time where it's like out of your house, but you're not quite ready to like get a full blown legit team and dole out all these salaries. So there's this kind of painful growing period between where you have to pick up so much slack because the company has grown, but you're not ready to fully like set up shop. So we don't have an office yet, but we're looking, we're about to take our first series A investment. So it's kind of like this, limbo where I'm doing way more than I possibly can be doing, but I'm just not sleeping and taking it on. Yeah. And then we'll get to that
1: next step. As a CEO um, and you talk about a series a, mm-hmm. you know, like are are you someone who you mentioned your brother comes from an investment banking background? Mm-hmm. So that's good. He's now on your team. Mm-hmm. It's good to have somebody close that you trust. Husband but, and brother. But are you a, um, are you an expert in the language of um, speaking to investors about, Series A money, money, Mm pre-money, valuations. I mean, all the the, the catchwords that you hear. Are you an expert in speaking that language as the CEO of your company?
2: I am now. Um, I would say with my first business is where I learned a lot of it. And just asking a lot of questions and understanding the mechanics of these deals and how it works, Um, you know, you get diluted every time you take investment. So for me, from my own personal, um, it's my own personal interest to know what I'm doing and what I'm giving away and what I'm gaining and what expertise and, you know, do they bring enough to the table? Is this strictly a financial investor? Is it a strategic investor? And what I'm looking to do? Um, I think you kind of have to become an expert in these things, especially if you want to be the CEO of your own brand, it's your business to know about your business. So would I consider myself a numbers person. No, I actually hate all of that stuff. Like it's the last thing I want to do is sit and deal with the projections and the numbers of everything and even sales forecasting and all of that. I hate it. I'm the creative side and I love that, but you have to be willing to do everything. And especially when it's your business, it's, it is your responsibility. So, I've learned a lot, and you know, my husband helps me whenever I kind of don't understand why things are happening this way, or what would we need to do to cover this. How long could I have, you know, self fund, and all these things? And everybody kind of helps me figure mm. that out. But um, yeah, you, I definitely can now. I just got back from New York doing a bunch of meetings with all these investors. It's kind of like fireside chats where you go and talk to all the funds that are interested in investing. And, you know, they ask you a lot of questions about your brand and you have to know the ins and outs and how everything works.
1: Okay, so um, you've really gained quite an education. Mm -hmm. And again, 31 years old. Um, Do you have an MBA? No. Do you have a law degree?
2: I dropped out of law school, actually.
1: How about just a regular college degree?
2: Yes, I have my bachelor's in philosophy. Um, and I really loved studying philosophy, which I think is sort of a good background to having an entrepreneurial lifestyle because it does teach you to think about like the purpose and meaning of your life and why we're here and what we're doing. And I think that's why I always knew I didn't want to work for anybody. I just want to be happy and like wake up every day and do something that I'm really passionate about. And I've always thought that way about my life and the things I'm spending my time on whether or not they make me money or whether or not they you know seem stupid to other people and I think that when you live in accordance with what you're passionate about and put your energy in those places you actually will be successful
1: so um, let's go back then and let's let, let everybody hear because people who know me um, are gonna say okay he's got a new series let's check this out and people who know you may know the story um, But I want to try and put peanut butter and chocolate together Mm -hmm. here, so to speak, in an organic kind of way, of course. Um, Go back to, I met you in 2012, Mm -hmm. and you had a product i mean, it 's like to me, I love stories about people who start businesses out of their garages, and to me that 's my perception of how you started suja juice, which yeah. I'm not, i don 't even know was that the name of it back in two thousand and twelve no. when you were coming around and literally doing samples for people and pouring no bottles. it was called
2: elevated nutrients, but it was too long for Whole Foods when later down, so we changed it to a one word name but yeah, I mean it really talk about out of a garage. I, like I said, I was in law school. That's why I moved to San Diego. I went to Arizona State for undergrad, um, graduated in 2010, May, and then came straight to law school at USD. So I started law school August 2010. Um, And then I also started teaching yoga to just make some money and pay for my apartment, that type of thing. So uh, I was teaching yoga, going to law school, decided I was miserable and was like, There is absolutely no way I want to be an attorney and spend my life on this. And I was in the law library studying for finals and had like a full blown panic attack. And it was the weirdest, scariest experience of my life. I just started sweating, feeling like I couldn't breathe. Just It was like my body was literally repelling, sitting and like spending one more second reading about law. And, you know, I think coming from a philosophy background, I didn't really know what to do with that degree. The natural direction seemed like law. A lot of kids in my program were doing that. And I thought, okay, well, you know, law is about right and wrong and, you know, figuring out the ethics and morality. So I thought it could be interesting. And then when I got to law school, I realized it just really wasn't what I thought it would be at all. So I... Got up, went straight to my guidance counselor, withdrew that day, signed the papers, didn't tell anybody, not my family, nobody. And I just got really, you know, full blown into teaching yoga. And it was shortly thereafter, a guy skated up on a skateboard to take class, and he had a green juice. And I also had a green juice, and I was checking him into class. And I is a green
1: a, juice a brand, or you mean no, just like a
2: green juice in a bottle. Okay, just and I said, oh, where'd you get that? And he said, oh, I make it at home on my Norwalk press. And I also had a Norwalk press, and it's a really in, um, intricate, difficult to use juicer created by a guy named Dr. Norman Walker. That's a cold press that no one would ever really want to have in their house because there's like 500 parts. It's difficult to clean. It's like this hundred pound metal box that has never been redesigned. And since like the thirties and we struck up conversation and that was kind of when we decided to start this local home delivery service throughout San Diego and juice out of our house, his house, my apartment and
1: deliver it to people. Wait, wait, this is part of the story. I mean, you know, listen, when you get to socialize with somebody, when you get to have dinner with somebody or go to their wedding, you don't have these sorts of intimate, detailed conversations. And there's gonna be a lot of people that are going to want more. Like I know I do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So hold on. So you're going to teach yoga. This gentleman pulls up on a skateboard. Mm-hmm. He's got a green juice. You've got a green juice. Hey, where'd you get that juice? I made it. Hey, me too. I got the same machine. Mm-hmm. And and from that turns into a relationship, a yes. business relationship. Well,
2: he became my boyfriend. Okay. Um, so we were dating and we were also um, just making juice and delivering it.
1: You guys started saying, hey, I've got a juicer. You've got a juicer. Mm-hmm. How do you start delivering juice? Because... Listen, if a guy pulls up to my house and he's got steaks in the back of a freezer in a truck, I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure. Now, some people are like, yeah, great. Good deal. I'll I'll take those. How did you get into the delivery service of homemade juices? Well,
2: he had a background as a raw vegan chef. So that's the other part of how we struck up such um, like a bond initially with our conversation that day was we're both so fascinated with nutrition and health and wellness. So he had a background. So we had a network of people that were really interested in health and wellness. And then there was a lot of people at the studio. It really started through a lot of the people that we knew through the studio. Um, I knew a lot of people from teaching there and working there. Um, and he knew a lot of people cause he was going,
1: so these day. people who would follow your yoga classes, mm-hmm. they can become friends. They can become followers. Mm-hmm. If Hey, I got to get to Annie's yoga class. Okay, fine. So if- well,
2: beyond that, I was also just working the front. So I was just interfacing with tons of people that were really into health and just super like-minded on a daily basis, talking to them, seeing them repeatedly. So just they did, they became friends. Got it.
1: And so then when you started the, I, I guess, would you say you, you, home press the juice Mm -hmm. and then how did you bottle it for people
2: oh we would literally go to whole foods buy all the produce off the shelf like just full retail price and then there was this brand which i forget what it's called it was this little green bottle but we liked the shapes so it was this coconut water we would buy tons of the coconut water dump it out into bigger like jugs and use it for other stuff and just clean these bottles and use this brand's bottles and just peel the labels off
1: did you, Was it manually intensive Like because you know You yes. peel a label off And then it's a pain in the ass To get the rest oh, no, of it off I think
2: Came off pretty easy Oh they
1: did Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you can imagine Spending time yeah, no. Trying to clean these bottles off <laughs> Okay so, so now And then we would
2: write With a sharpie on the top um, The name of the juice And every week We would have different juices Depending on what was available So we would have different names And
1: And and so you guys would then start to spread the word through the yoga community Mm -hmm. or through the guy. um, I'm sorry. I don't know his name. Eric. Eric. um, Through his network.
2: Yeah. And it took off really quickly. So now in San Diego, we have like beaming and creation. But even, you know, this was 2012. So you know, even back then, which was God seven years ago, I mean, we had like Jamba juice. This was before any of those places opened. So there wasn't really a place to get cold pressed juice, um, except if you went to like that little bar within Whole Foods, but we just didn't have a lot of juice places. So it took off really quickly through word of mouth because we were like one of the only places that you could really get this kind of juice, super fresh, super organic, um, and really low sugar type of blends that weren't just you know, available at those kind of mainstream juice places.
1: How does the company go from, I'm sure you've told the story a million times, but how does the company go from a fun little in my garage? We've got two cold presses. We bought all the produce off the shelves at, at whole foods. Um, we're delivering to our yoga friends. How does it go from that to where it becomes explosive to Mm -hmm. where it's being bottled, where it has a name, it has a brand It has people, it has shelf space at whole Mm -hmm. foods and Costco. How, How does it go from little, Local juicing company that's pouring it into, you know bottles from somebody else's water. How does it go from that to explosion? How does that happen?
2: Yeah, so we had our home delivery service for about a year and a half. Um, Were you making money? No. I mean, we put everything back in. We were charging, you know, 8 $9 a bottle. We would just take the money, go back to Whole Foods. But at this point, it was just fun for us. We were passionate about it. We had nothing to lose. That's the other great thing about um, when you start a business as a young person, you don't have a family. You don't have money. So if it doesn't work out, there's not much to lose. There's everything to gain. But you can really have fun and just kind of see where it goes, but there's not a lot hanging in the balance.
1: Great lesson, by the way, for lots of young people. Yeah. I, wish, I wish somebody would have taught me this when I was 28 or 25 or 31. I wish somebody would have told me, hey, this is the time in your life where it's actually a good time to be taking mm-hmm. a risk. Nobody teaches you that.
2: No, it really is. And there's also something nice about the naivety of it all because you haven't failed yet. So you're, you're fresh. Um, I think a lot of times if you try a business idea and it doesn't work out and you lose money on it and it's, you, you have issues with partners and all those things, you're a little burned. But when you haven't really seen the dark side, you're much more willing to take on anything and try. So that was sort of where we were at that point in life. Um, but we were approached by two investors. Um, one had brought the other one in, but his, he was trying the juice. His wife and her friends liked the juice. And they thought we really had something and they thought it was a really unique concept. So they wanted to invest and help us get a space and really grow it into something bigger. But at that point, I don't even think we were considering retail the way like with Whole Foods. I think we were more considering like making it a bigger, more local and then national home delivery service, sort of like what Blueprint was doing, um, where you could order it online and get it delivered anywhere in the country. But I mean... Within several months of getting a space and sort of making our um, online presence more legitimized and coming up with our name and packaging and all that, we... um did our deal with whole foods. We were talking to somebody there for several months. I have
1: a question real quick. Excuse me. So one of the things you talked about earlier was not knowing what you're doing, but kind of just Mm -hmm. rolling with the punches. So when you're early on and you're a yoga instructor and you're working the front desk at the yoga studio and you and now the boyfriend are making this juice out of your place and an investor says, Hey, I like the juice. My wife likes the juice. Her friends like the juice. We'd like to invest again at that time of your life. What did you did? What did you know about taking on investment and not much dilution? Not and- much,
2: and I definitely um, could have made some different choices. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I always tell myself now: little things become big things. Because I think when something's little, you don't think about the future and where it could be. And when you have intellectual property and you're holding the concept behind a brand, um, it's easy to find money. You can get money from a lot of places, um, but it's not as easy to find unique ideas and authentic founders. And I think that's what um, I place a lot more value on now is myself and my ideas and what I'm contributing, whether you know it may not be financial it's going to make a lot of other people money and so you have to remember that and be careful what you give away um but i mean obviously everything worked out well and i I don't regret anything but it was great to have that experience at such a young age to learn for the future and setting up you know my future businesses what can happen when you give away too much too soon and that thing explodes and then now you're It's, you're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're talking about millions of dollars. And you know, when you've created something that's really does matter, that's a lot of money.
1: Okay. So, um, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I hear it loud and clear. Um, you, you started this business. It was your, you and your friend, your concept. It was your ingredients. It was your recipes. It was your bootstrapping that got it to where it was, and then someone walked through the door with money, and then things change.
2: For sure. But also, you know, they contribute a lot as well, and it's really necessary to getting something from A to B, so you can't deny that or be scared to take investment. Um, Contributions from outside money can be really essential to growing the business. You can't do everything yourself. That's why I'm currently fundraising, because I need some help. So beyond the money, I just want someone with operations contacts and, you know, a potential president and all the, I want the help. So along with money comes a lot of strategic help because now other people have skin in the game and they want the brand to work out just as much as you do because your gain and their gain is the same. Um, But also, you know, you have to remember that it's a marriage when you take investment. These people, have to be aligned. You have to share the same vision. You have to really want the brand to go in the same direction. Um, because if you don't, you are going to butt heads and it will be a disaster. So I think, um, as a founder, it's really important to find an investor, um, or investors that you feel personally comfortable with in addition to business wise, because these people are going to be your friends. These people are going to, ha- you're going to have to answer to them and report to them on the financials and why things are going the way they're going, why you're making choices you're making. And I've also always um, known I never want to let anybody have the power to usurp my decision making. So if I want to release a product and I really think it needs to be this way, this is my vision for it. No one can make me change that.
1: Um, so this is, 2019, January 2019, we're talking about 2012 Mm -hmm. and 13. I mean, you could have gone through business school and had a job or two and, and learned a lot of stuff, but I mean, you've learned it through actual application. Absolutely. Uh, Because the stuff you're talking about today, I'm guessing you probably wouldn't have known anything about in 2012.
2: No, no. I mean, I was a baby. I was 24. I was naive. Um, but I was super passionate and I loved what I was doing and I knew that I had been so miserable in law school, just changing direction and doing something I really enjoyed doing was so awesome to me that I was like just so happy to have the ability to do it, um even just locally for friends and family like it was it was just fun to be happy again and doing something I was actually enjoying spending my time on um, and then you know once it gained traction, and whole Foods became interested that was really the game changer that took it from being this little local business to a nationally exposed brand because once you hit Whole Foods you know you're on shelves everywhere and would
1: you say that it was as simple and I know it wasn't easy uh, but but as you look back on it now was was getting into Whole Foods and the beautiful packaging that Suja had the boxes the colors you know all that space was that as simple as throwing money at something?
2: No. Um, when we first launched there, we actually had to learn how to get a 30-day shelf life. That was what they required for their perishable um, beverage section, and we had a two to three-day shelf life. We weren't doing any food preservation. We weren't pasteurizing. We were making truly, you know, fresh juice that expired quickly. Um, so we did had to research something called HPP, which is high pressure processing that kills pathogens but keeps the juice under 40 degrees so it doesn't kill the nutrients. Um, so we had to learn that very quickly. Um, we had to learn all about packaging. At that time, we were glass bottles. So we had to do, you know, labels and plastic bottles, and learn how to fill it and get commercial presses. So, I mean, there's a lot. It's it's easy to reminisce and you know make things sound very simple and matter of fact. Oh, and then we launched here, and then we did this. But there's so many moving pieces that go into um, creating something f- to a big national nationally skilled level. Um, there were so many nightmares and fire drills and really hard times when,
1: when you first accepted capital again first time as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. that you're accepting somebody else's money because they like your idea how much money did it take at the beginning to to really go from we're we're doing this in our garage to we're going to bottle we're going to package we're going to get into a major brand store and what kind of money did it take at the beginning?
2: I mean, it wasn't a ton in the beginning. We started small with just, you know, our two initial investors. And then, you know, as the needs arise, you do more friends and family and more, you know, we did a lot of friends and family before we went on to do, you know, institutional money. But, um, yeah, every business is so different and the capital needs fluctuate depending on how rapidly the growth is. Um, a lot of times, you know, you think a certain amount of money will last you for X amount of time and it doesn't, um, or you know, the business doesn't take off the way that you thought, or you're bringing in revenue where you can put it back into the
1: business. Um, when did you go from being someone who was getting an investment because somebody liked their product versus becoming a fundraiser? See, you see the difference of what I'm trying to get mm-hmm. at here? No. Okay, so you were not somebody who was out looking for money.
2: Oh, right. Yeah.
1: Okay, you had, a, you had somebody who liked your product. Mm-hmm. They wanted to put money into it.
2: Yeah, so that was the initial investment. Correct,
1: but at some point, you have to go from being the girl who made the juice mm-hmm. to now I got to go out and get the money.
2: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, once we launched in Whole Foods and then you realize the demands uh, for growth, all of the employees, the space, the, the rents, the equipment, the machinery, um, all of that, all of the marketing, the digital, the the website, even the the creative, um, it really does start to add up. And in order to have a successful brand, once you've crossed that threshold and you've got this huge opportunity and you're on shelves in a store, you're not going to walk away because you don't have the, the cash. So that's when you go out and you say, okay, I need to sell this concept and idea and make other people see it becoming what I see it becoming. And that's when you go out and you fundraise.
1: Yeah, wow. I mean, that's, that's just so cool to listen to this. And again, it's, it's hard to believe that in under seven years, and it really it was from 2012, you, you talked about, mm-hmm. you know, bottling it yourselves, mm-hmm. to what was the, when, did it, um, when did you leave mm-hmm. and when was the company, and I don't know the exact story, um, but at least some portion of Suja was mm-hmm. sold to Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. right? And I remember when you were working on that because it all happened so fast from, from, hey, Annie's pouring us some cups so we can try it to Annie's selling this company to freaking Coke.
2: Yeah, so that was 2015, um, and it was a 30% uh, investment from Coke and a 20% investment from Goldman Sachs. At that time, the company was valued at $300 million, so um, it was a $90 million investment combined. And I decided that um, I was ready to do something new. I think, you know, the brand had grown so much. It was not the same, you know, little thing out of my apartment and Eric's house. Um, a lot. We had so many more employees. A lot of growth had happened. A lot of the procedures were different. A lot of the products were different. And I think I was just ready to put my hands back on something and, you know, get back into that ground up stage where I could do something I'm super passionate about again. Um,
1: was that hard to let go? Because like, do you know how some people might feel like, hey, it's my baby. I started mm-hmm. it. I cultivated it. I worked it out of my garage. I raised the original money. Now all of a sudden, look what we've created. It, was it hard to let go?
2: I think it's always bittersweet to close a chapter and go to the next chapter, but I'm also not somebody in life that like hangs on to things. I, I really think change is good. I think... There's like a law of attraction to like move forward movement. And the more you move forward, the more things are brought into your life. And I like to keep it moving. Um, And I also think that anyone that's left their business will tell you when the time is right for you, you'll know, like when you're not as passionate and you're not feeling the way that you used to about it, and it's not that same rush of excitement when you're first starting out and you're just like so creatively buzzing I think that that's when you know okay like I want that again so I have to go find that in something else and my job here is done kind of thing and I also think you know I was ready to shake up my um my day-to-day life I think that you know I wasn't enjoying uh, some of the people that I was working with anymore things had changed the team had grown and that's okay. You know, that's okay for things to change. It's okay to evolve and go in a different direction than the business that you started. If that business is now not just your business, it's a lot of other people's business and it's okay for you to, to walk away from that. So I think it was, it was bittersweet in the sense that, you know, it was my baby. And I remember how fun it was starting it with Eric and all those like memories, but it's also a very exciting time to leave your business and know that like, The next thing is just on the horizon.
1: Well, what's really interesting to me is watching you go from um, starting the company and I wasn't there day one, but I saw a lot of the early days Mm -hmm. and then seeing what it turned into and seeing the exit. And then I watched from afar and I think, well, hundreds of thousands of other people got to watch as well because we all saw on Instagram how you literally went from, oh, she's the girl who started Suja Juice to wait a second she's really something interesting here and it has turned into a at least to the way i perceive it it bridged between suja and currently with lawless Mm -hmm. there was this time where you your personal brand exploded Mm -hmm. and that i think is also super valuable because from suja turns into people following you on on instagram and and products wanting to be seen with you. Mm -hmm. And then wait, I'm ready to start my own brand. And you know what? Let's use my own name too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, it was an interesting thing. Talk me through the end of Suja, then the Annie brand before Annie becomes lawless.
2: Yeah. So during the time of Suja, I had a blog that was just a hobby. Um, I literally would like get Little, you know, photo students to come around San Diego with me and take photos of my outfits. I wasn't—I didn't even know about brand sponsorships. You know, it was just I liked to put outfits together. I liked to write posts about makeup and beauty and fashion, and then I also had a lot of health and wellness and nutrition and recipes. Um, but you have the credibility
1: the now, though. You yeah. now have the credibility of. Annie was one of the founders of suja suja sold to Mm coca-cola in a 90 million dollar deal I'm I'm generalizing and she's got this blog and so she's somebody that People might look at and emulate Mm because she was the CEO of a company and I mean and that's that started a social media world for you
2: Yeah, well and then when I left suja that was 2015. Um, I didn't start lawless till 2017 so that was when I really took time to focus not only on the blog, but launching a YouTube channel and continue to share content. And I think that any, you know, whatever you want to call it, influencer, um, will say that just content is king. Consistently putting stuff out there, sharing pieces of your life, sharing how you do things, why you do them, what you're wearing, what you're eating, what you're reading. Um, And I just noticed, like, I had a really great following of these girls that had a lot of the same passions that either found me through Suja or just through my blog, but were really like-minded. They had that health and wellness um, interest, but they also loved fashion and beauty. And that really gained traction as I had more time to really focus on it, post a lot more, spend a lot of time creating that content and connecting, writing back every comment, writing back every message. And as my audience grew, I realized that these girls have a specific interest in both fashion, beauty, and health and wellness, and how do I merge those into something that I can give them to make their life better? And that was when I really started seriously thinking about the makeup, because I couldn't find makeup I liked, and I knew, They would want this same thing, too, because they care about the same things I do and creating a brand when you have a built in audience that's captive there and wants to be part of whatever it is that you create is a great time to launch a product because they are a built in consumer. They want a piece of why they follow you. And now they can buy that. They can actually have a physical piece of that lifestyle.
1: It's so amazing the way you just analyze that. It really is because um, even just with this medium, podcasting, people say, well, how do you make money with podcasting? And a lot of people um, in the industry Mm -hmm. say, well, you sell something within Mm -hmm. the podcast. I currently don't um, and I don't really know what I'd ever want to sell. I mean, I, but I I understand the point though. The Mm -hmm. point is have something to sell the people Mm -hmm. that follow you.
2: Yeah. And I think it's a fine line, especially in the influencer world right now, where a lot of, you know, bloggers and social media figures like slap their name on a product. It's really not that authentic. You know, it's just off the shelf that they're, you know, private labeling or whatever. Um, And so I think that that's why it's important to always maintain another side of your brand that has this authentic You know, there's a reason I'm creating clean makeup like it's it's totally applicable in my life It's something I needed and wanted I have a health wellness background and it's a true passion of mine
1: Would you just tell everybody real quick because I know this got cut out when we were talking earlier Your your passion for makeup comes from being a little girl who had a skin condition, right?
2: Yeah, I had eczema all over my body My
1: um, when people see you on social media and they see what you look like today They're gonna go wait. Wait a second. You as a little girl had eczema all over your body. mm -hmm. Wow, what? must that have been like? Because I look horrible. at you and you're so beautiful and confident oh, and, and successful and so on. Here was a little girl who had eczema on her face and her neck.
2: Mm-hmm. It was all over. It was my legs, my arms and um, yeah, it was It was really um, it was a confidence killer a little bit at, at that age when you're a teenager and you just want to be cute and look like everybody else and have clear skin. I mean, it's similar to acne. It's kind of like it does you know to a young person what acne does where you just want it off your skin and that was you know really awesome for me when i was able to figure out that my diet was able to fix that and i just got really into beauty and fashion and makeup because i i had my confidence back and i really had fun with it
1: you're amazing oh thank you <laughs> thank you i mean don't people say to you all the time i know that people ask me this and i don't know how i do it necessarily but how do you find time to do everything?
2: Oh, I don't. I mean, I'm not even going to f- pretend. You can ask Jeff. Um, I have meltdowns all the time. Like, I, I am so busy sometimes that I don't even know where to start, and I just get completely overwhelmed. Um, I wake up in the night stressing about things. It's It's not as easy as it seems. I mean, what I post on social media is the fun parts and, like, the pretty side of it all. But there's so many fire drills and horrible things that happen and, you know total F-ups and Mm -hmm. I stress about things just like everybody else Um, but managing my time has definitely become something I'm better at and I've kind of learned to just let go like I trim the fat I don't even read my inbox sometimes if I see all these emails piling up and I just know like the priorities if someone needs me they're going to call me like I'm going to get through the important things I try not to get too caught up in the weeds and focus on the higher level big picture um, so that I can somewhat be productive and also have a little bit of a personal life
1: so uh, we're getting short on time here. I'm curious. You you crushed Suja, knocked it out of the park. You needed something new and different. Um, and I'm sure there's much greater detail. I could go down into that hole at another time. Um, how long are you here? <laughs> or are you already thinking about what's next?
2: Oh, no. I mean, I try not to think too far ahead and enjoy the moment and be present and be open to all the opportunities that come my way right now. Um, I'm so in this business right now and I'm so loving it and I'm only a year and a half in and I feel like there's so much potential and runway and so much I want to do with it. I'm not thinking beyond it, but I am thinking about so many other things at the same time. Like I have a couple of other
1: mind? (laughs) that I want
2: to almost make lawless beyond just cosmetics into an overarching wellness lifestyle brand. So I have a lot of other product lines that I'm conceptualizing that I want to do that are not beauty and wouldn't sit on the same shelves, you know, in a retailer like a Sephora. They, you know. I'll tell you more about it offline, but I have a couple of really interesting ideas. And I know for sure, like the second that, um, I exit lawless, if there is a sale someday, um, which I'm hoping to grow this into, you know, the next global beauty brand that, you know, I hope I do sell to a L'Oreal Estee Lauder type of entity. Um, there, I, I will definitely be doing something next. I'm, I'm going to be doing this forever.
1: Okay. What do you think? Good start for Badass Bitches, right? By the way, Aaron Andrews, if you're still listening right now, I am looking for you to be a guest on this series and I will be in Atlanta this week for Super Bowl. So, Aaron, I can come over to your house. I can bring my equipment because I think after the whole spat that you and I have had, after this sort of an interview, I, I would love to include you in this. So, I'm loving this. It's the start and I plan to do this every month. So, if you know... Badass bitches. And you think they should get onto this series. Make sure you're sending me an email. And you can do that. Scott, S-C-O-T-T, at Sided, S-I-D-E-D, dot C-O. Scott, at Sided, dot C-O. Or on any of the social platforms. Twitter, at Scott Kaplan. Instagram, same. And um, I'm not really on Facebook all that much. So, okay. Great start to this series. Thank you, Annie Lawless. Thank you to everybody who is still listening. And... I look forward to talking to you next time
0: Another great guest that was interviewed by Scott on the weekly solo podcast that on every tooth they cross. Keep it locked and make sure after you listen, share the latest volume, tune into the next edition.